Hi, welcome to Commercial Real Estate Eyes Wide Open podcast. I'm Ann Hambly, your host, and I'm very pleased today to have with me two people from Somera Capital. I have Chris Haas, who's the CFO, and I have TJ Gamble, who's the Senior Managing Director, and I welcome both of you, and I'm going to let either of you kind of do a little bit of intro about Somera Capital in general and what area of the company um, you specialize in. And boy, there's nothing more important in the industry right now than creative capital sources. So really anxious to get into some details with you. But with that, either Chris or TJ, uh, let me let us know a little bit more about Somera Capital and where you focus. Sure. Uh, this is TJ. I'll, I'll jump in, Chris. Correct me where we're needed. Um, <laughs> so Samara was started in the mid-90s um, by a family that had a few liquidity events and wanted more kind of direct control over their real estate portfolio. Um, brought in um, the senior partner um, owner, David Brown, to sort of guide the ship um, and have participated in deals, maybe over 100 JVs, I think, over the last 25 plus years. Uh, Chris, if I'm not mistaken, was maybe the second or third employee of Samara. Yeah, employee number, employee number two, if you don't count David. Yeah, employee number two. So Chris has been around the longest. Um, uh, I joined in uh, 2009, I think. Uh, and what is kind of unique about Samara and, and why probably relevant for this call is um, we're a non-fund capital provider uh, with the, essentially, you know, Chris, myself and David are kind of the three people running around looking to do deals. Uh, and we're property agnostic. So I think if you look at uh, Chris and I's history and, and Samara's history in whole, we've done everything from, you know, traditional large hotels to marinas to mezzanine lending um, on a high-end home in Malibu Colony. So sort of everything. And what we're trying to do is find uh, creative spots in the capital stack uh, for our investors. And um, it's it's fun to be at a shop like this because we're we're not specific on one asset class. So we're constantly learning and seeing new deals and looking at creative ways to deploy capital. And I think the last the last thing in that, and I know we'll touch on that, is sort of the three lines of business that we have. Um, direct investing, uh, JV investing, which we are pretty prolific in, and then uh, preferred equity, which we've always kind of done on the side. And we uh, fully anticipate that to become a larger line of business in the crazy capital markets we're in the next couple of years. Um, you, when you said property agnostic, uh, let, let me, let me clarify one thing. So um, the, what I'm seeing today, a lot of is office properties that are looking at, um, you know, a maturity coming up and, and tenant rollover and, uh, you know, lack of understanding about what these tenants are going to do. I think most people are predicting that, you know, so the tenants for the most part will potentially need less space or, you know, something will happen, uh, given the hybrid work arrangements that have crept up kind of post COVID. So let me just start out by asking you is office something that would, uh, would you'd have any interest in, uh, is that one of your property types you'd consider? I think we would partially because Chris and I are deal junkies and we would try to figure mm -hmm. out how to, how to get in. In the last 12 months, we've underwritten some office, um, it definitely not CBD office. I mean, it's kind of a cliche at this point, but everyone's sort of fleeing from that. And you're starting to obviously see these large 
uh, loans hit special servicing or, you know, people trying to do jingle mail um, with uh, not knowing what to do. But anecdotally, I think all of us in the space um, see positive signs. It's just when when is there yeah. enough momentum? You know, we've just leased new office in Newport Beach where I am as we open our office down here. We leased this about six or seven months ago. Um, I walk in every day and there's there's more more people moving in and you know we're in Newport Beach, which is a bit of an outlier, but you know I think there's some good trends in office. Um, we would look at preferred equity specifically in office. I think that's why that vehicle is interesting for us because it gives us some perceived downside protection on where values really are. But uh, you know I, I think CBD office is worrisome because the analogy that was kind of on top of my mind is the CBD office, the new B mall, you know, and uh, mm -hmm. 10 years ago, it's like we were over mauled and there were winners and losers. And it's kind of scary to make a bet and just hope that you're the winner or the loser. And I think there's a bit of that with office, but there's still pockets. So, you know, we looked at some office deals in Dallas where we were going to do prep equity and couldn't quite size it right. But we're not, we're not opposed yeah. to it, I guess is the way to say it. Yeah, let me add to that too. I think with office, especially the CBD and some of the other stuff, is the smaller office buildings that are uh, you can do an adaptive reuse. We'll definitely look at. I mean, we're looking at one right now. They're taking three floors, making a multifamily co-living. Bottom floor is going to be you know daycare, and then the top two floors are going to be for a high high tech company. So I think the, the adaptive reuse is where we can come in and kind of understand it and see what what's out there. So I think we also look at office as a covered land play. You know, you got some existing leases that are going to mm -hmm. burn off, and then you can have your time to uh, develop your business plan and and take it to its next, uh, you know, its next purpose. So it really comes down to us: is location, location, location. You know, how how well located yeah. are these office buildings? Right. Absolutely. Yeah, and that and that brings up. Okay, that's good to hear, though. That's good to hear that office is at least not. Uh, a lot of times people make the statement that they're sort of property type agnostic. And then when I ask, well, well, what about office? They go, well, you know, not really office right now. So I just wanted to make sure that wasn't a non-starter. Obviously, every deal is different. Um, geographic, that's a great point about location, location, location. Is there any geographic location you stay away from, you like to be in? Or is that also just depends on the deal and the situation? I, I think part of that is we're hamstrung. It's not the right word, but since we're a non-fund capital provider, we're going out and raising deals uh, on a one-off basis. And we have uh, over 25 years sort of educated an investor base and, and brought brought new investors along for the ride. And, and they're used to seeing certain types of deals and certain locations for us. Um, so while I think we could do a deal anywhere, um, if we found it compelling, if there was a deal in Madison, Wisconsin, it's like, okay, I've got a, a tougher road to hoe here because I need to really explain yeah. to these investors that have been with us for 20 years while all of a sudden we're putting Wisconsin on the map. Not that yeah. there's not great deals there. So I think we're a little bit tied to where we've, we've had success and kind of have grown organically, which is for us is really coastal markets. We have an office in Washington, D.C. as well. So um, that that is doing a bunch of deals in the Southeast to, to great success. So we feel very comfortable there. 
on the West Coast, we feel comfortable. And then the obvious kind of add-ons, the Arizonas, Colorados, Texases of the world. But we've we've generally stayed away in the last 10, 15 years from you know the middle of the country, not because not we don't think there's value to be made there. It's just it's it's just one extra element we we don't really go down. You know, something you say, you've said now twice, and I, I just maybe for the average listener, um, well, for me especially, um, is having, so a, a, where you've already got a fund established, there's probably pretty strict requirements on where you can invest the money and all that. Is that one of the benefits to having a, what you call a non-fund capital provider? And talk to me about the difference there. Does it give you more flexibility or what's the benefit in that? I- I think there's there's pros and cons. Um, you know, I think when you're in a fund format and you've got capital commitments, um, you have a little more leeway internally to go execute within the business plan that you've raised the capital on. The flip side is you have sort of the proverbial uh, gun to your head that you're in the business of putting money out, so you better find deals to put money out. So, I mean, I think there's there's a bit of a give and take there. Um, I think the purest kind of way to do it is the non-fund format, which Samara operates under, where you know our kind of conversation with our investors is we're going to undertake this because we think it meets the criteria, not that we have uh, allocation that we're taking fees on, so we need to go spend mm-hmm. it. Um, the flip side of that is you better really like a deal because you as soon as you stop performing, people stop answering the phone. Um, mm-hmm. So there are some limitations, you know, perceived or, or, or real that where you can take your investors to execute on deals that you have to sort of be mindful of. But at the same time, it's we like all our investors and we have great relationships with them. And it's kind of an ongoing educational process on different asset types we're doing, different markets we're in and, and why we think we can take what Samara does well and, and take it there to be successful. So it's worked really well for Samara. Um, on the other side, you you see some of your cohorts with money burning a hole in their pocket and you get a little jealous because yeah. they're out there chasing <laughs> deals left and right. And we're, yeah. you know, if we do three, four, five deals a year, we'd be, we'd be very excited and we'd be okay. pretty, pretty steadfast in what we accomplished. And did I understand it correct? Maybe it's just because it's the last deal we worked on together. But is do you do you really prefer hospitality if you could pick out of any hosp- any uh, property type? Or am I just remembering that wrong? Well, it's, that's an asset class we understand really well. We probably about 50, 60 percent of our portfolio is hospitality. And we recently acquired a, uh, a hotel management company that was managing about half of our assets so we can even dive even deeper so i think if you need if there is an asset class where we can get really creative it is it is hospitality okay very, yeah very understand very well good and that's because you because you've been there done that own them and you know yeah right okay um is there um so you said you'll do direct lending that's uh, like bridge loans and so on i assume or just creative you know, flat out lending to take out the existing lender. Is that right? Yeah, I'd say usually we're going to do preferred equity. So the existing loan would stay in place and we'd come in with preferred equity. We have looked at some mezzanine debt, but we get in a different uh, tax structure at that point. And we really want to be viewed as partners with our our JV ventures. So if you come in as debt, you kind of view more as a lender. So we come in as prep equity and help them solve problems. And do you do you um, like to take on, or do you require that you take on the 
you know, portfolio property management duties uh, and control when you do your preferred equity, or does that just depend on the situation and the owner sponsor today? Well, I, it, it depends on the situation. I think if it's hospitality, we think we have value to add, so we'll we'll, we'll you know we'll pitch bringing on mm -hmm. our management company, but it's not absolute. Not a requirement. Our management okay. company has just done asset management. I mean, it just helps us underwrite the deals and yeah. gives us the mass we need since we're a small shop. In the other asset classes, we don't have management expertise, okay. so we would look to either the sponsor or a third-party manager. Okay. You earlier, TJ, said something about, you know, this particular cycle and, and how, and I, I loved how you worded it, but how basically when you look into the future, we can see that these things, these property types, for the most part, will recover. This isn't like, I think you were young in the industry for the 08 downturn. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, I got in in yeah. 03. Yeah. So yeah. just when I thought I had it figured out, 08 happened. <laughs> well, you know, that's the story of the whole industry, though. Just when you think you figured out something <laughs> happens and it's different, and, you know, that's exactly right. But in 08, I, Chris, I assume you you would share the same thought, but in 08, it was primarily, and for my view, an over leveraged over, over, there's too much debt on the majority of the assets that at least that I was working with. So it was really a too much debt on asset situation that had to kind of be right-sized. This is not from generally speaking, this downturn is not that it's one where we've just got a whole bunch of things that occurred that kind of changed us up a little bit like COVID and, and things. And we're just trying to figure out um, when you got the interest rate environment and this potential recession. And I'm going to come back to that in a minute, but I think everyone can look ahead and say, well, we get out of this fine at some point. It's like, how many years does it take? What kind of capital is required to get us there? And, you know, if you can, price that right and and project things right, it's a good investment. And so I, I assume that's a little different in how you view things today than maybe how you did in 08. And maybe that's a, more directed to Chris since you probably were, were you more active in 08 too? Yeah, I was definitely, and I was active. I started my yeah. career in the RTC days. Um, so I, this is yeah. my third or fourth cycle we've been through. You know, I think, I mean, I think what, created this environment was extremely low interest rates where so, so the cap rates compressed um, but then also you had the inflation hitting so now we're at a point where um, you know inflation is you know clicking away at five six percent um, so then interest rates long-term rates when you go to buy some of these deals are six yeah. seven eight percent but then you can't there's no positive leverage so so what do you do without positive leverage <clears throat> but but I think all of us in this industry feel, you know, that if if things kind of inflation gets under control, that then cap rates will go to kind of pre-pandemic levels. So I think we're kind of kind of in this holding pattern where sellers don't want to reduce their mm -hmm. prices and buyers don't want to come up. So it's really only things that are transacting are things mm -hmm. that have to transact. So I think uh, I think we're we're being very patient. If we do do something, we're going to use a lot of cash. So right? we're gonna we're gonna get find out where that sweet spot is where you can get some insurance company money and, and you know kind of get it get, get your all-in rate under seven and you know if we're buying something at an eight eight ish plus cap rate there is some positive leverage and then but then also we're not going to be buying we're not going to be setting up 10-year money we're, we're going to be looking for probably five-year money with with some outs that uh, we can get into and take advantage of of, of the lower interest rate environments we think will come in the next you know mm -hmm. call it two to five years 
Yeah, I mean, I think to Chris's point, um, at, at the deals that we're seeing now, and maybe it's just because you know you're you're sort of on the front lines and you want to be a deal guy and you want to you want to intake as many opportunities as you can. There's sort of the suspect uh, thought. It's like, well, why are they selling? You know, like why would you bring anything <laughs> to market right now? You yeah, know, okay. so I think mm -hmm. uh, buyers mm. are sort of overplaying their hands and and or maybe they're not. I don't know. Um, right. But a lot of deals we dig into. Uh, and to go back to your point, though, I think there is a lot of over leverage in the market. And to Chris's point, with the you know the low interest rates we had for so long, um, you know we were we were pitched a deal or two uh, recently that we looked at, and I kind of politely wanted to ask the partner, like, why am I not talking to your lender? You know, yeah. like you're mm -hmm. so far out of the money right now. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah. maybe that's going to change if we stop the the rate increases and cap rates. Kind of normalized but i just think a, a lot of the deals we see now it's it, it they're just kind of upside down the equity and yeah, what yeah. was unique about the last few years versus 08 uh or you know to chris's point rtc days a lot of lenders maybe they just got their cue from you know not being the big bad lender but everyone just kind of looked the other way for a long time and then cap, and then you know, interest rates plummeted during the back half of well, I guess 2020. Cap rates went crazy, and it's like no one wants to admit that that was such a mm. fluke incident. The yeah. people that sold last year, God bless them, they're all high fiving. Um, <laughs> but those days are kind of gone. And then we're underwriting deals where, you know, Chris and I have to look at each other and start trying to find ways to convince ourselves that. Um, rates will be at a what what a normalized level is but mm -hmm. then in the back of your mind you're like what if the era of free money is kind of over yeah you know yeah. and and then you underwrite yourself out of everything you know so i think yeah. where we try to be mindful of is we have no idea where things are going to go in this kind of downturn or whatever we're in but if we find a location we really really like if we have to add more capital or if we have to really get into it and figure it out at least it's a location that we could defend market conditions regardless you know if we're just chasing you know back to like poor madison wisconsin if we're just chasing an irr in madison wisconsin right now like we'll be up all yeah. night like white knuckling it yeah well i think a lot of the deals we're seeing i mean because you know a lot of people have bridge financing they need to take out and when you look at where where their their takeout loans being priced yeah. it's usually an mm -hmm. a and a b piece and the a, the a piece right. usually isn't that bad you know it's usually six and a half seven it's that b piece that's getting up to 15 percent plus so that's where we come in with our preferred equity and we'll you'll put a little bit more equity in the deal you know, take the debt that's the A piece and then pay it down. We'll basically mm -hmm. take the B piece, but come in as preferred equity. And then we're looking, we're looking pretty good because then you, you're getting kind of really, you know, double digit returns day one. Um, but then you also have the upside of the of the property going forward. Well, actually, it's funny because what I was going to say was almost exactly a slight different view, but of the exact same solution. And that is when people come to me looking for assistance on what to do. And they've got, and again, primarily right now, what I'm dealing with are, are large office complexes. So they've got an office complex that in a normal environment would have been probably uh, the right size debt. There's a lot of new capital that needs to come in to stabilize the property over a few years. But nobody, nobody would bring new capital in above that size debt. 
So to your point about needing to ask lenders, so what we're doing is we're trying to do the the old kind of AB structure where you got like the hope note and the A. So you basically right size the debt because that way people with uh, outside capital or their own capital, it, it makes economic sense to bring it in above a lowered leverage deal, but it doesn't at today's levered amount. So I, I think what you said, TJ, is right, where you really have to to tackle this, you know, two ways almost. Do you need to bring money in to stabilize your property, but you gotta you gotta do something with that debt that's in place a lot well, of times. And, and what so, we always kind of communicate to people and and mean it sincerely, when you do the preferred equity program, you know, and we're we know where market is and we've seen some yeah. that are just wild. And you know, we want to be kind of good partners and Part of that is being kind of earnest when you say like, we don't want your property. Yeah. <laughs> like this isn't yeah, loan right, to own, right. yeah. you know, like we want to provide a yeah. solution. But for that, I mean, Chris did a deal a, a, a year or two ago where a part of the capital was to pay down the senior. And I'm sure, mm-hmm. you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but the partner was like, no, we're good. It's like, no, but we're going to bring money in. We're going to get that down to a level. This is yeah. going to be more comfortable for everybody because we don't want to end up taking your keys. We just want to give you two, three year runway to get out of yep. this, you know, and that's, that's kind of right. where you need to resize things. Yeah. I think that specific deal, the reason we paid down the loan is, is they had a loan. They weren't going to make their uh, debt covenants to get their extension. Yep. So they had a nice, right. you know, a couple of extensions. So we're like, we got to come in, we're going to negotiate with the lender, pay down the loan, and then make sure we get both of those extensions right. because I mean, a lot, a lot of these deals, it's not only rate, but it's term. Yes. If you don't have term. Oh, absolutely. You, know, you got a deal that's sideways. What are you going to well, do? And, and that's why there's so much opportunity for you guys coming up. I mean, it, there's so many deals that are maturing that are out of term. They need capital to, you know, they need runway. Like you said, they need time and they need capital. So I ask everybody pretty much in 23 that I've done a podcast with what their opinion is on this recession and air quotes. I, in my last, one of my last ones, I interviewed a Garrick Brown who does a lot, he's an economist and he does a lot of speaking and stuff. And I asked him his opinion of whether or not we're in a recession or we're going to be, because there's a million views on this. And he said, you know, that's not what's going to hurt us the most. The what's going to hurt us the most in commercial real estate is being in a, what did he say? A no session or a slow session. And actually we released that podcast today. But that's the key. And I think that's kind of what you said, Chris, where everybody's kind of in a wait and see, and we sort of aren't there, but we're going to be. And I, I do agree that that's very detrimental to be in this slow or no session. What what are each of your views? I'll start with you, TJ. Do you think we're in one? We're going to be. I mean, I think in? I have, you know, anecdotal evidence for both sides of it. You know, it's like <laughs> I was joking with a buddy, like one of my friends took a HELOC loan and added a bedroom to his house and then got a new nice car and and then went out and like yeah. bought a golf cart or something. I'm like, you, you're the reason the inflation's your fault. Stop doing this, <laughs> you know, and it's like, yeah, you say that yeah. kind of joking, right. but then I, then I, I go to the grocery store and I want to shoot myself when I buy a carton yeah. of eggs and some right. milk for the kids. So it's yeah. like this, it's, I go back and forth all the time. And I think I, I, I agree with the earlier podcast, uh, Garrett Brown. I, I remember hearing him talk too. So that's funny. Pull that name. Mm-hmm. I, I, I sort of agree that 
the worst thing is that there's the market hasn't kind of been made and the delta on buyers and sellers is so big and so much of what we do is off market but i still need like an efficient market where we have some thought in yeah. pricing and I don't know where we get. I mean, I know there has to be a slowdown and the, the yield curve's been inverted for so long. And I get that. How bad is it? I don't know. We sort of think a bad market helps us in some of the things we can do. And Chris has been sure. really mindful on our, our, our debt book. So we feel like we can kind of weather whatever storms are coming. Um, but what we can't weather is kind of like the boredom where everyone's looking around wondering which way is up. So I kind of want yep. the dance to start mm -hmm. regardless. How about you, Chris? What do you think? Well, I think, I think what we're seeing is is we're getting these top line increases. They're all getting sucked up by increase specifically in wages um, and, and other costs. So I, I kind of feel like, you know, there's going to be growth, but it's going to be right at about at inflation. So we're going to, we're going to kind of feel good on the top line. And no there's right. not going to be any additional <laughs> money in our pockets. So. I, you know, I kind of, I kind of think that, you know, I think most likely the Fed's going to overcorrect, and then that's going to, then, then things are going to really slow down. To me, that's when the opportunity is with the well-located assets, and that's the point that you can go out and, and refinance once there's a little bit of a recession and, and rates drop a little bit. But I think it's, you know, is it is it a year from now? Probably not. Is it sometime within the next five years? Yeah, probably is. So. I, you know, I think that's what I love about real estate is it's kind of the one asset class where it's maybe a little easier to time the cycles than others. So I think yeah. we're just kind of, we're just kind of waiting here, waiting for the bottom. But then it comes back to what's, what's the asset you want to own mm -hmm. long term and you're going yeah. to be all right. Well, that's really good. Yeah. You know, I uh, remember early in my career, we'll end it this way, early in my career, I've also been through, I was, I went through the very first downturn was the RTC downturn too. I worked for a SNL that was taken over by the RTC. And so by default, I worked for the RTC and by default was part of the very first securitization in our industry. That's how I got into CMBS. But I've been through that downturn, you know, the, the Russian bond crisis, I think in 98, the 08, and I think that's it, right? And COVID and now this one. And what I learned through that, so TJ, maybe this is for you too, is that all eventually comes back around. It's a cycle. And the very first one I went through, I thought, oh my God, like the bottom fell out and things are never going to go back to where they were. And they don't, but they do come back and you have good times and you have, you know, so it's just constantly a cycle and you just have to hit it the right time with confidence. And like you said, Chris, a strategy to not be trying to get in and out quickly for a quick buck. Cause that doesn't always, you know, unless you can predict the future really well, that's hard to do. So Anyway, well, I, I see us doing a lot of business together this year. Any client we have that needs um, preferred equity uh, in their property, I certainly plan on calling you. And I hopefully anybody listening will know to reach out to you too. And, you know, uh, really enjoyed your time today and your insight. And uh, unless you have any parting words, I, I, I think, you know, again, I just want to thank you for your time today and, and what you've offered. No, this was fun. Any parting Happy words? Happy to do it. Everyone, good luck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Thanks, Dan. And I, it's nice to be on the other <laughs> yeah. side of the ledger. You helped us out in the middle uh, of COVID with, uh, with a very troubled loan and uh, had a great success with that. So we appreciate that. It's nice to be on the other side of that. Well, thank you. Actually, it's funny. We define great success, right? Because 
we always think of great success as like, you're going to high five everybody and have a closing party and all that. Any, any of my successes, if you will, are keeping a property, not, you know, not getting completely taken out in the meantime. And sometimes that's the best success we can get. And COVID sure knocked us all on our tail. So yeah, I'm glad we're here to talk about it. <laughs> so thank you, Chris. I appreciate that. All right, you guys, thank you. Have a great uh, rest of your day. Thank you.